warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Real Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Hello, Scott here. It's our Christmas edition. And being Christmas, I think everybody looks forward to meeting with friends and family. And Real Britannia is no exception this year because we've got our own Real Britannia bubble. It's (laughs) Stephen and it's Tony. Hello, guys. Hello. Good to be here with uh, the pair of you for for a change. Yeah, been, been the family is together. Been a while, wasn't it? Yeah. What was the last time? Can we remember? Oh, start of the year. Was it Must the man who knew too much? Not the man who knew too much. The man who would be king. I think it probably was. Yeah. yeah. I think it might. And be. then since then, we've lost one of them. We one have the indeed. Yes, we have. Tony, we are doing a Sean Connery special in the new year. We're covering. Definitely going to be covering Goldfinger. So. Please make sure you're available for that at some point. Yes. But today, it's a Christmas movie, or is it? It's it's a listener request. It's sent in by our dear friend and listener Chris, who's who's who has specifically asked for this movie. I don't think because it's a Christmas movie, but I think it just reminds him of Christmas. There's there's the briefest mention of Christmas at the beginning that you pointed out to me, Stephen, isn't there? There's some carol singers in the background and a little bit of snow being, you know, shaken <laughs> off a hat uh, when somebody enters a house. And then the action, you know, within a few minutes shifts to April and mm. that's where it remains. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what so Chris it starts, is... starts Christmas, you yeah. know, at least starts Christmas. But I can see why Chris has specifically associated this as a Christmas movie. It's one of those good old family British movies from the early 70s. I can imagine there's always been shown around Christmas or Easter time, can you? It it feels that that way, yeah. It feels like it's got the element where it was, you know, going to be shown um, on the television for you know kids to see some afternoon leading up to Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as as true to form, Tony probably only watched this movie at four o'clock this morning. It was recent, yes. <laughs> so, had you seen this before? Never. Stephen, this was a first time watch for you? Yes, I thought it was when I went to go sit and watch it, but there was little bits of it that mm, reminded so me and made me feel like I had seen bits of it. Part of it before. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I watched the entire thing before, but maybe I have caught part of it when I was um, younger. Exactly. I think this was the same for me. Um, I know I hadn't watched it all the way through, but I remember it being on TV and just catching the odd snippet here and there. So we haven't mentioned the name of the movie. It's The Amazing Mr. Blunden, directed by Lionel Jeffries from 1972, starring Lawrence Naismith and Diana Dawes. Let's take a break. We'll play the trailer. We'll be back after this. 
Mrs. Allen, I trust you'll not be offended, but I'm in a position to offer you a job, or rather a reasonable salaried occupation. I did hear voices, honestly, I did. My dear girl, all big houses have voices. Lucy. I shall haunt you until you release little Georgie from the cellar. Mr. Georgie was well worried, sir. The Amazing Mr. Blunden, released in the UK 1972, starring Lawrence Naismith, Graham Crowd, and Dorothy Allison. Deddy Davis, David Lodge, Madeline Smith, James Villiers, Diana Dawes, Rosalind Lander, Gary Miller, Lynn Frederick. There are lots and lots of famous faces in this. The synopsis. A mysterious, very old solicitor, Mr. Blunden, visits Mrs. Allen and her young children in her squalid, tiny Camden Town flat and makes her an offer she can't refuse. Sounds like saying out of the Godfather, doesn't it? <laughs> the family become the housekeepers to a derelict country mansion in the charge of the solicitors. One day, the children meet the spirits of two other children who died in the mansion nearly a hundred years previously. The children prepare a magic potion that allows them to travel backwards in time to the era of the ghost children. Will the children be able to help their new friends, and what will happen to them if they do? Can I just say straight off, I bloody love this. I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed this. I went into it thinking, okay, kids' movies from the 70s, you know, what, what am I letting myself in for? But thinking about it, you know, it's directed by Lionel Jeffries, who the year before had done The Railway Children. You know, it, it, it was in safe hands. How did you guys feel initially going into it? Were you a bit sort of weary about, oh, God, Scott's picked a blooming kids' movie, or Chris has picked us a kids' movie to watch? I sort of looked... And just thought, oh, all right, then now, you know, there might be some humour to be had out of this. And I, and I watched it, and on one side, I watched through and, and went, oh, that could have been shot better, or, you know, that's a bit, you know, as with anything that involves um, the, the passage of time and, and time travel almost, yeah. you think, oh, that, that doesn't quite work out logically, and all these kind of things. And as you say, you know, a film from the 70s that was pushing the boundaries of. of of its technological achievements as well on on that side i enjoy, yes i just enjoyed it. it it's you know it's on a technical level it's probably not a great film but i i did enjoy it and 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 i had the same feeling as you going into it thinking hmm yeah what's this gonna be like then mm. but pleasantly um a pleasant watch definitely yeah what about you tony your your recent watch this morning well Unfortunately, mine's a little different to the pair of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it started, and it sort of went downhill from there, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, I very quickly decided this is not a sort of a film I, um, <laughs> I'd i normally watch. No. Um, I mean, Lionel Jeffrey's character, Mr. Blunden. No, that's Lawrence Naismith. Him. That's Lawrence Naismith. It's directed. But doesn't he look like Lionel Jeffrey's though? 
Oh, is it really? Oh, yes. okay. I completely read it all wrong then. Yes, Lionel Jeffries directed it, but th- th- he does look like him. Because Lionel Jeffries in Chitty Bang Bang, wasn't he? That's it. Yeah. Yep. Right. Okay. But anyway, we'll cut that bit out, I'm sure. It'd be like the Joan Sims thing again, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Another Christmas movie. Joan Sims in Scrooge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But. <laughs> The actor that played Mr. Blunden, mm. I quite enjoyed him throughout the film, uh, but the rest of it, no, it, it, nah. Not no, your I won't cup go of too. Tea. We'll oh. wait to the end, and I'll give you my full prognosis oh. of it. <laughs> God, it well, one of the things, one of the things I did query though that I will ask you, the, the pair of you, mm. um, the amazing Mr. Blunden. Um, did you really feel that the Mr. Blunden character was that amazing? I'm so glad no. you said that. Because I, no. I, I got to the end and just went, why is it about him? Maybe a different title to the film? I was waiting for the amazing to happen. We see him at the beginning, and then he starts creeping in towards the end. And it's like, well, he hasn't done anything. In fact, apart from when he's this charming gentleman at the beginning, he's a bit of a git in the middle part of the, of the film. Yeah, um, but obviously sees the error of his ways, and that's the amazing bit. But he does nothing spectacular <laughs> towards the end, and we need to talk about the end as well later because it doesn't make sense any of it. This is what I was saying that it's it's you know logically it doesn't make sense. There's actually a point at which the really the the, the plot could have had a little bit of a tweak and and made it uh, more interesting and, and better, really. The, you know, these are the points where I was saying that there's there's errors in it or, or bits that were just not really very, you know, not that great. But still, I liked it. Um, but yes, definitely the Mr. Blunden bit was a big thing for me. A, going, is this a Christmas film? Have I ever watched the right film? And B, <laughs> what was so amazing about this this Mr. Blunden guy? Because I don't really feel he was the, the catalyst for, for, for yeah. anything, really. I think much. it should be retitled. The whole film should just be called Mr. Blunden, and then we could have had the amazing Mr. Scrooge. I mean, because Scrooge actually did change, didn't he? He was quite nice at the end. <laughs> but even then, I don't think Mr. Blunden is the point of this movie anyway, is he? I, I know yeah, he's the guy that, that right solves there. everything yeah. towards the end. He's the guy that, you know, resolves everything. But is he the, the main character in this? I think the main character is the ghost of the girl. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah, sorry, yeah. I think the, 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 the children are the main characters mm. and obviously top million on posters and stuff, that's not going to happen with them unless it was Hayley Mills who was put down potentially to be, uh, um, or, or uh, Mark Lester was also put down to be one of the kids, but it didn't happen. But so, otherwise it's yeah. bound to be these, the, you know, the big, bigger names as on the poster, but the, the story wasn't, wasn't about them. And that it wasn't about Mr. Blunden, really. To some extent, the film could have worked without him. <laughs> really, yeah. I mean, plot-wise, it wouldn't have been hard to just tweak it a little bit, and, and there was no necessity to his character existing. So, so yeah, the focal point of of a Mr. Blunden being the the, the main character that wise, and and the fact that he was amazing. Um, maybe it's amazing that it is about Mr. Blunden. Maybe that's what we're we're missing. Trying to keep this to the back of your mind then that that side of it as a kids film it works doesn't it it's it's, it's enjoyable in that respect i know tony you're not that enamored with it it's not your cup of tea but could you see your kids or you know kids of a certain age watching this movie and enjoy it i'll I'll ask tony first could you because 
Tony's not going to sort of enjoy this movie the way that we did. So as a kid's movie, Tony, does it work? I think back in the 70s, perhaps, but I don't think it would today. I, I, honestly, I don't think the children would be able to follow the plot line because, I mean, I struggled at a few points. It was just so jumpy as a film. All right, okay. Not in like a scary jumpy, but it just just none of it sort of makes sense really for me um so yeah i, I don't think it would work today with children but back then no was it a bit too slow paced yeah 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 oh is that an ice cream van it is an ice cream van in the middle what? of this right outside the window. <laughs> <coughs> i reckon he's peddling drugs he just about be. well, yeah. he's seen you in your, in your shorts i'm thinking he's up for an ice cream <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait until that's definitely gone and then mm. he's still there hold on <laughs> we can't make this shit up in November could you you haven't seen one all year and then all of a sudden yeah we've got freezing fog here in a minute mm. it's bloody cold and there's a nice cream van outside my window well for me I think you know I have more understanding of the sensibilities of, of children in the 70s and 80s uh, I can see where Tony's coming from, that the kids these days perhaps want more. Mm. They want robots with lasers and, and more, much more fast-paced uh, as well, mm. whereas this was what we, we were used to That's true. Then. Yeah, we had uh, to put up with it. <laughs> to be honest. I mean, it was slow-paced for a reason, because it was designed to actually keep us occupied so that the grown-ups could actually do something else, um, <laughs> usually create more children. Um so, so I, you know, I, I have the different view to, to Tony. Obviously, I think it, it, the kids of a, of a certain era would have actually probably enjoyed this a lot more. What on earth was that? Motorbike, by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, everyone has now come out. <laughs> I've seen you waving at the window in your shorts and they all want to come and have a look. Oh, my word. Sorry, carry on. You're a local attraction. Yeah. Well, I say attraction. Locally attractive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see that that would be something that would be different to then and now. Mm. I can certainly agree, though, with, with, with Tony that there's uh, the plot is a, a bit of a mess in some ways because it, you know, it logically doesn't stack up. But I'm not sure the kids would have necessarily been looking at that and thinking about that because they just, back then... Me and you, Scott. We just you just went with this kind of thing, and you just let yeah. it unfold in front of you. You didn't critically analyze um, that, and it was a happy ending. We have all the kids been alive, and it was pitched in such a way that the brutality or the cruelty to the kids that was been uh, enacted by Diana Dawes, particularly, mm. was done in, in a way that that was what children would have imagined child cruelty to be it mm. wasn't child cruelty that was actually going on in the 70s by um, radio djs it was it, this, this was you know been been chained to your bed um with the windows wide open so you got cold and and not feeding you properly bread and water was, yeah you know, bread and water that that was what kids understood as, as cruelty um i think it was pitched at a different level to which tony's Modern sensibilities, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's not a good thing that's it's in some ways that um, what the expectation of a children's film has moved on. But certainly at the time, I think this this hit the nail on the head for what, what kids were expecting and wanting. Yeah, I think Diana Dawes must have got the brief 
from Lionel Jeffries, and he probably said to her, just think pantomime villain, because that is the performance she gives, isn't it? It's Wicked Stepmother that you'd see in Cinderella. It is, and this is probably why, you know, in interviews in the 70s, when um, towards the end of her life as well, when she was talking to the likes of Russell Harty and things Mm. and talking about her film career, it was only a few of the films at the very beginning of her career she actually had any respect for and actually uh, any pride for, because they were the ones where she was actually acting rather than these ones where she was hamming it up and, you know, collecting a paycheck. It was very much pantomime. We were extolling the the dear lady's virtues when we reviewed yield to the night saying that we had a powerhouse performance you know it certainly should be seen by far more people it proved that diana Dawes could act i think this proved that she could act as well you know this was a different type of acting but she just did pantomime villain this proved that she could act up yeah <laughs> which is which is a skill in itself really but, um... talking of acting up her husband one of yes. the finest comedic character actors that this country has ever produced, David Lodge. That was just a bit too much over the top. He's this punch drunk ex boxer. Yeah, and when the when the bell goes, he he goes back to being in the ring and starts fighting whoever is in front of him. Yeah, I think what we had to do is is, is to watch this movie on that sort of level that it was more of a pantomime. You know that it is a ghost story with these childlike elements to it, these childish situations that the kids can relate to as entertainment. As like you say, it's a kid's interpretation of what cruelty is. It's not to be taken seriously. I mean, this movie, I mean, we're not saying this is, has got the glitz and the glamour of say, like as Tony mentioned, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. This is more on a sedate level, like Lionel Jeffrey's previous effort, which was the railway children. But then there's a lot of humour brought into this, a lot of pantomime, as I say, and a lot of farce. Because of that, I think it works as a kid's film. It doesn't work as a film for Tony, does it, mate? It's not a Tony movie. No, No, it's not, no. (laughs) But what about Isaac? Your Isaac, would he watch this and enjoy it? Would it be too... He's a little bit too young, isn't he, for this? He's six. Um, Actually, I don't think he would. I think he'd lose interest. Yeah. He would lose interest because he's of that age where, unless it's got a screen or some sort of explosion, or something like that, or a cartoon, mm-hmm. he's not interested. I mean, I don't see it like that. It's just, I, I, I love Chick Chick Bang Bang and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But for this, I, I don't know what it was. It just didn't... There wasn't even a spark for Nothing me. at all. Nothing at all, which is a shame, really, because mm. I went in with an open mind. I'd never seen it before. I was sort of hoping I was going to enjoy it. Yeah. But, um, you know, and there's some big names in there, and... I was going to say, you must have recognised a few faces. Madeline Smith, Diana Dawes, you know, those sort of people. James Villiers, you know, all these people that we see in these famous British movies that we've been discussing over the past few years. But for you, even the presence of those guys didn't raise it up for you at all? No, not at all. Not. I reckon you could put Sid James in that and it would not do anything for me. <laughs> it's interesting, Stephen, talking about the 70s and what we sort of expected from that era as entertainment this was based on a book written the year or two before and i think the book was actually called the ghosts which mm. perfectly sums up what this movie is all about but what yeah. lionel jeffries did when he adapted it was quite clever the book was set in the 1970s it was set contemporary time you know it was it was set in the 70s and the kids go back a hundred years right 
But what he's done, he said it back in 1918, and the kids go back to 1818. So in that way, the film doesn't date. You know, there's no 70s fashions or anything like that where you can go, oh, that's a bit 1972. It makes the film timeless in that respect because it's it's a period piece from start. Yeah, and I think that is a good idea. Um, I think that as a as a way of making the the film um, stand the test of time, mm. and also I, I do think that there is a commercial aspect towards people being e- easier to accept things, as you know, Christmas wise, and and also involving ghosts up to a certain point when you're actually um, harking back to Victoriana sort of thing. It's you know up until a certain point there wasn't a lot of films that were contemporary ghost films anyway. Really, no. I mean, even when we uh, watched The Innocents, um, that was set back. So I think it's only, you know it was only really in 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 the eighties that a bit more it became a thing that ghost films were actually set contemporary, you know, poltergeist and and such like. So I think that that was a clever move on their part to make it you know more of a film that would be able to get the money in for a longer period of time. As I said, I can understand with Tony where he's coming from that the film for uh, his son wouldn't, even if his son was a bit older, to be able to um, get on with with the plot. I don't think it would. It's too slow. It doesn't have a car chase and it doesn't have an explosion in it. it you know, it doesn't have these elements in it that that you would expect more from the the films of nowadays. Uh, whereas when we were kids, this is what we expected and what we understood. You know, the railway children, chick chick bang bang, etc. This was this was it. And the comedy was 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 this. You know, it didn't hadn't got into the the more experimental comedy that was a bit more wacky. So much it was a, a bit more in in the older style in in that way. So um, you didn't have you know a time bandits hadn't happened yet, and that was you know a bit more fast paced and and etc. So I think you're right. Although for us, obviously me and you, it was great to see all these faces of, of people we recognised and and <laughs> oh yeah, that, 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 yeah, you know, from a real Britannia point of view, this is a great movie. Looking at all these famous faces, we're going to go into the Hall of Fame in a second and have a little chat about them. But what age, Tony? I'll ask you first. What what age do you think this is pitched at? What age, child? Well, back in the seventies, I reckon. Sort of eight plus. The kids are sort of into Doctor Who. Um, okay, the supernatural type stuff. Yeah. Time travel, that sort of thing, yeah. and it's it's the right sort of level of understanding for an eight year old. They would get what was going on. Yeah, I yeah. think so at the time. I mean, that's why I sort of mentioned the Doctor Who thing because it had been of that era, wouldn't it? And a lot of the fading in and out and the ghosty ghouly stuff. That sort of that okay. sort of style of. Filming. Yeah, Stephen, would you agree with that? But eight-year-old would be the ideal sort of level back I, in 1972. I, I think perhaps a little bit older, just because kids, I think, matured slower in that time. You know, we got out of you know hundreds of years ago where kids became adults at the age of eight um, and sent down a mine in this part of my life. <laughs> That's <out>. true. Um, <laughs> You know, we'd, we'd got out of that habit in the 50s. You know, I think then there was the childhood went longer into um your life before you did start becoming more adolescent um which we you know see now you know your eight-year-olds are being uh, more mature in their understanding of the world and expectations of the world so i I would say you know a little bit higher than that maybe 10 11 okay yeah 
I think for the more pantomime aspects of this whole movie, I think somewhere in the middle of that is 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 where this was was aimed at. I mean, it's, it's still classed as a used certificate now because there isn't anything offensive in there. You know, there's there's no no swearing or anything like that in this movie. Is a is a kids movie through and through. Um, from the point of view of an adult, it just doesn't make a great deal of sense if you dig under the surface. I think you have to watch it at a certain level with it's kids entertainment. That's the only way you can look at this. You don't want to dissect it too much because otherwise you will be picking holes in this from the very beginning. The connection that was made at the end of the story, why that, why that, you know, that wasn't a connection that was made at the beginning of the story. (laughs) Um, that that's, you know, part of where your questioning comes in as you have with anything that involves, sort of time travel or, or anything like that you get into a, a, a situation of going well if that was changed then all the rest of this wouldn't happen so therefore it wouldn't have got changed mm. you know you're in a, a paradox uh, <laughs> which is always happens with, with with time travel you know you've got to take the red dwarf approach which is to just go it, it's a story yeah don't don't look into this what they they had you know i remember there's megups from red dwarf there was some questions asked about the time some of the time travel stuff and they they you know the answer was because it's a tv show fantastic right because (laughs) we're a sitcom we've done it for humor yeah uh, not for science exactly and i think that's what this is this is just kids entertainment and on that level i think it works I think this works perfectly as a kid's film, whether it's made in 1972 or 2002. I think kids of a certain age might get something out of this still. I don't think it's completely excluded. I don't think kids are just going to look at this and go, oh, God, that's one of those old movies, Dad, you know. Some of them may actually get it. We were talking about Famous Faces a little bit earlier. Should we take a little wander into the Village Hall of Fame and see if anybody's made it in? Let's have a little look. Stephen, get your keys ready. Village Hall of Fame. I think we've got a couple of either inductees or sort of four-time appearances coming in today. I haven't looked, but I've recognised a few faces that we've seen several times before. Well, yeah. The, the thing is, it's you know, it's got a listed cast of, of even including people who weren't credited. It's got a listed cast of twenty-two people. Oh wow. Um, the thing is, we've got you know either second, third, or, or more appearances from more than half of those. <laughs> so um, proportionally, this is a, a bit of a hit in in that terms because mm. I mean there's seven people who are uh, making their second appearance, which okay. includes uh, Dorothy Allison and uh, David Lodge, who we'll be seeing more of in the near future. Only two David for Lodge. David Lodge. Only two. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think it's more to do with the the release order of this that he, you know. Um, okay. But um, Reg Lai, uh, as you say, Madeline Smith, um, James Villiers, Paddy Ward, and and Lionel Jeffries is only getting his second appearance, you know, as a writer because he's once appeared in Dunkirk and now oh. um, had his second appearance as a writer. I mean, he, you know, he obviously directed this as well, but still, the only gets one credit for that. 
So he'll be in at some point, knowing what a great, sort of recognisable, um, notable character actor he was in mm, British cinema, and, and you know, in, including to foreign audiences. But we, yes, we do have two people who who are um, making their third appearance, who are actually um, getting into the Village Hall of Excellent. Fame. Excellent, two new inductees so, for Christmas. Who are they? Let's absolutely, um, Eric Eric Chitty. I thought he would have been four appearances. Now Eric Chitty. Our dear friend Mark from The Good, The Bad and The Odd would have recognised him immediately. He's, um, please sir, was definitely in that. Yeah, and that's uh, that, that's um, one of the two was the um, previous one... appearances and Bedazzled was the other. Oh, I was going to say Scott of the Antarctic, but I think that was the other. Yeah. I think that was the headmaster from Please Sir was in there. So yeah. he's inducted. That's good to see. Eric Chitty, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the other one is is Diana Dawes, bless her, hey. finally. Making it in for... Obviously, Yield to the Night earlier and uh, Theatre of Blood. Of course. And obviously, yeah. uh, Theatre of Blood was, was a, a, a more of a pantomime performance. Uh, <laughs> From as well. everybody involved. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Yield to the Night, a uh, very respectable uh, performance in that. Excellent. Um, so we're, we're doing quite well there. There are two people who are making their fifth appearances, which is Pauline Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. Um, previously been in The Reckoning, Wicker Man, Hell Drivers, and Night to Remember. And uh, Maxwell Craig, who was in the reckoning as well, Ten Wellington Place, Heavens Above, and Sweeney. Wow. Um, Pauline Chamberlain uh, is no relation to, <laughs> to Cyril, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, dynasties uh, don't stretch that far, um, <laughs> sadly. Uh, we have one sixth appearance, uh, which is uh, Lawrence Naismith. Is he six um, now? Yeah. Uh, previously in the, the uh, just in the last episode of this, we, Tony did with mm. you um, the the man who never was uh, yes. not long ago. Gideon's Day, um, he was in Pool of London, Dan Busters, which Tony uh, seen him in, uh, Night to Remember, which Tony saw him as well. So he's uh, he's been in, in a few of the one two for the Tony episodes, um, and this is actually um, his last film that he did. And they are very far and few between. Previous ones off recording Scott. Yes, for the three years, mate. There is that, but yeah, this is this is Lawrence Nairsmith's last film. Okay, I didn't realise we'd um, seen him five times previously. I'd have said two or three, but um, and we do actually have somebody who's making their ninth appearance. Oh, oh, I'm looking down the list to see who it might be, but I can't think if Madeline Smith hasn't appeared only a couple of times. No, Um, it's it's Fred Wood, (laughs) who is who is a. uh, uh, it was a, it was a, a multiple background character really yeah. um, in many films. Um, Wivlin and I, Russia uh, from Russia, we love Time Bandits, Man for All Seasons, Wicker Man, Heavens Above, uh, Free Hats for Lisa, Night to Remember. So he's he's that's been a there career, in the background. That's a career that spread over a few decades. When you look at that yep. list as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, and quite a variety of films. I mean, you know, from Night to Remember to Wivlin and I. Um, so- Three hats for Lisa and, and Russia with love. So that, how many appearances did you say? Nine. Nine. Yeah. So he's good old Fred. I was going to say he's another one that's challenging the top of the tree there. Well, he's up there with Cyril and um, the Duchess. The and, yeah, yeah. Mm. Just want to point out the producer was a guy called Barry Levinson, uh, and it's not that Barry Levinson, not the big Hollywood firm <laughs> director. It's somebody completely different, and for some reason, 
You know, sometimes when actors have the same name, they make them put an initial in the middle or slightly change yeah. their name, don't they? In this case, they both got away with it. So there are two Barry Levinsons, and it's not no. that Barry Levinson. Music. But yes, otherwise with this, yeah, I mean, we're noticeable for having um, a recognisable face of Graham Crowden, who's the, the first time that he's appeared um, yeah. in this. We, we recognise uh, Dee Dee Davies as well, yeah. her face from things. And um, obviously we're... We recognise uh, Paul Eddington as well from... Did you yes, spot Minister that one, Inside. Tony? Paul Eddington as the vicar? No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, Graham Crowden, I did. You obviously, yeah. from Waiting for God. Yeah. Um, the vicar, no, Paul Eddington, Jerry out of The Good Life. Really? Yes. And the Prime, and Prime Minister out yes, of... Yeah. Prime yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Music um, incredibly by Elmer Bernstein. <laughs> Well, it was. It was. I've seen in the in the um, trivia of it that it was at one point pegged to be a musical. Ah, okay. Which which might have actually made a bit of a difference to the pace of the film. Yes. That might have that might, that might have actually mm. stopped the lag that that Tony is is seeing that, um, so much. That might have made a difference, perhaps. Well, I picked it up a bit for you, Tony. If there was a couple of musical numbers in there. It would probably make sense when considering I like Chitty Bang Bang and Charlie Chocolate Factory, Mary Poppins, they're all musicals, aren't they? So yeah, I think this would yeah, that'd probably change it completely for me. Yeah. You know, I might even have a catchy song. Which would be <laughs> quite nice. And it, it does often when you've got a, a, a sort of sparser plot that isn't then heavier in, in dialogue and stuff. It's just a, it's it it does, you know, if you've either got on one side you've got a musical or you've got frequent kung fu fights, they they cover over um a, a, a thinner plot. <laughs> this might have made the difference for, for for you, Tony, and what why the material put on screen didn't really stretch in the same way that you have experienced with things like Mary Poppins and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and stuff then. That might that might be the key element that um that was missing for you. Definitely, I, I definitely think children's films definitely need a sing song. It just <laughs> makes it better, doesn't it? And I, I'm going to blame Toy Story for that. Toy Story, um, <laughs> yeah, Toy Story, <laughs> uh, Toy Story, and Mary Poppins. I actually wore out the VHS a number of times when I was a child we're watching them two films on Keep repeat forgetting how young you are Tony but... I know <laughs> I know so give us your final thoughts Tony I know you didn't particularly enjoy it but is is there anything in this movie that you can sort of push towards anybody to recommend or is it just a an avoid at all costs for you um watch it but don't show your children it <laughs> <laughs> because you're going to have a lot of questions. So, do you think the adults can enjoy this more? Or you think that it's it's just not suitable for children? What are you saying? Um, I, I don't know if they'll enjoy it more. Watch it. I think you need to watch it <laughs> and, and make, make your own mind. up I was going to say, make your own mind up and get back to us. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm even on the fence with this one. To be fair, <laughs> so okay, uh, uh, your traditional five star rating. Where are you going with it? I'd probably go down to a two. It's not terrible, but it's a two from me. It's is it just not aged particularly well for you? It's just just I don't not your think cup it started of tea. Particularly well for me, to be fair. <laughs> just your, your not your cup of tea, mate. No, no, not at all. Okay, Stephen. Final thoughts. Well, I think 
that it is a film that plays best to people who were a child yes. in 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 the right era, and that stretched into the eighties. At the point at which you did get more films being straight to video releases and 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 things where stuff was being banged out and it had to be flashier and flashier and flashier to gain the attention of children. I think anybody who was a, a child before that era, um, early 80s, been the, maybe the cut-off. Um, I think as an adult now, I think they'll probably get more out of it than a child of the age at which it was originally aimed at Yeah. Um, in modern day. I think it's, it's more enjoyable than I expected it to be, so I would recommend if people of our age have the opportunity to watch it to actually... Um, give it a go yeah other people no i wouldn't go out your way for it like tony says it's it's one that falls flat unfortunately with people after a certain certain age mm. um, more of a film uh, of nostalgia really isn't it? it it's got that element to it and i think that you know whether a remake with more flashy bits in or some songs might actually have, have you know reinvigorated the story is a different matter but um i did enjoy it so i'm not completely um, crapping on it as a, as a film because I, I did enjoy it more than I expected to in the same way that you said, Scott. Yep. And it was, you know, it, it came out at a time not just in the 70s, but I mean, as, as I think you said at the beginning when it was released, it was released November time, round about, you know, the time at which we were recording, in fact, mm. 30th of November. So it was clearly aimed to be a Christmas film. Well, so my o- my other pickup on it going, you know, along with the uh, how amazing was Mr. Blunden, um, my <laughs> other pickup on going, was it a Christmas film? Um, it was clearly designed to to be playing out at Christmas and to be seen by by a Christmas cinema audience. Exactly. So um, so it does qualify to be to be our Christmas uh, film on those grounds, um, and it has, it has to be t- has to be has to be watched with that in mind. I think. Yeah. Um, rather than the modern sensibilities, and I can completely understand that Tony can't adapt to it. He's got a great Tony's got a great ability to be able to pick up on um, certain sensibilities of you know seventies sitcoms or your your fifties war films and stuff. Mm. But I can I can no criticism for for the fact that this one he just can't get. I yeah. can understand why. I can really understand why he Absolutely. just can't get it, Tony. Thank you. <laughs> you know. it makes me sound less of a terrible person now that's poo-pooing this film no there's lots of reasons no there's there's lots and lots of reasons uh why you are a terrible person but this isn't one of them <laughs> no and they've all been disproved in a court of law i might have as well yeah well see the thing is tony we're, we're, we're me and Stephen get together tony we sort of get stuck in a rut of two old you know 50 plus year old farts or one of us is 50 years old plus and and we just think that our opinions are valid and, and that's that. It's good to have you on board for these episodes when you come in because it just tells us we're wrong sometimes or it makes us think <laughs> that, you know, not everything revolves around you two old buggers, you know, discussing old British movies. Not everybody says it like we do. No, and then you're, yeah. you know, you're early 20s and it's like, well, hang on a minute, you two. Hang on, I've watched the same film as you, and this is what I think. And that's brilliant that we've actually got that opinion from yourself on it. I did enjoy it, and I'm just going to highlight the fact that, sort of melding together what the pair of you have said, this is a typical real Britannia movie. Yeah. I, I think for people that want to do a bit of famous face spotting, and we're probably 
kids at about this sort of time that it was released, as you said, even up to the early 80s, um, Steve, and, you know, they're going to get something out of it. If, if only for the overblown performance of Diana Dawes, which I think was magical, the appearance of the absolutely gorgeous Madeline Smith, who could appear in every movie as far as I'm concerned, Seeing the other actors and actresses from from that era that we recognise from plenty of other films, I think so. I mean, that's where you're coming from, yeah. It's, it's I think it's remarkable that Lawrence Naismith has appeared six times in the last three years, but then again, it's not remarkable because we say this all the time that it's it's one of those people that you don't expect to appear that do, you know. And then then one of the bit part actors, Mr. Wood, nine times. You know, it's 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 a typical Real Britannia film. I got a lot more out of it than I thought I was going to. Yes, you know, if you were to dissect it, it doesn't make a great deal of sense, but it's a kid's movie at the end of the day. And like you said, The Red Dwarf thing, it's only a TV show. It's only a film at the end of the day. And if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. If it's not for you, it's not for you. So the ending though was a bit creaky though wasn't it where they're all waving at the camera saying oh, fine. No. I hope you enjoyed it Hated I think that. I think every film should finish like that no <laughs> no <laughs> what your, your, your bonds and yeah. your, oh, your fast and your furiouses and, definitely and I, I, for people that haven't seen it what happens We've spoke about opening opening title sequences before, how, you know, a lot of work goes into them and they're quite creative and some are different and enjoyable. The closing credits was a bit like a bit like you being served or whatever, where everybody sort of turns to the camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Don't they? Ooh. laughs> you have been watching. Yeah, yeah. and, and they, the name comes up and they actually personally wish you a goodbye and a thank you for watching. Horrendous. I loved it. <laughs> hated it i had to stop it it was so bad i actually loved it i thought that was yeah that's the way forward i'm, I'm surprised nobody else has picked up on it well can you imagine that being done at the end of 10 millington place and yeah um yeah yeah the, the wicker man brilliant you can imagine it you know <laughs> edward woodward's charred corpse waving goodbye <laughs> Thank you for watching. You know, Christopher Lee. Oh, thank you. You know, yeah, excellent. Yeah. Titanic. The list goes on. Yeah. Okay. Thanks to Chris for suggesting that. I think that's opened up a great deal of discussion across the yeah, board. Thank you, Chris. Sorry if I've upset you with my criticisms of the film, but thank you nevertheless. And, and Chris has selected it's not necessarily because it is a Christmas movie, but I think it's one of those movies that. Perhaps he watches most Christmases. You know, it, again, we spoke about this before, Steve, and certain films you, you associate with certain periods in your life or certain times of the year, and you can only watch films on that sort of time. We said so, certain films are only, you know, we can only watch on a bank holiday or a long winter's evening. And I think this sort of definitely falls into a, that Christmas period. Yeah, you've got your Lawrence of Arabia's and and some of the films that are not Christmassy, but they're show they were shown frequently at Christmas. Yeah, but I mean this was released uh, in time, you know, a clearly had a Christmas release as it were, you know, back in the days when your Christmas release didn't have to be released two weeks before Christmas. It could, you know, it was released six weeks before because right. that's how long it took took people to to have it on at the cinema but i think this is i can well understand why this was this feels like a christmas film but it doesn't have a mention of christmas in it so and, and oh, i can yeah. understand where chris is coming from on on this being a christmas film um absolutely 
Cool. Okay, on that note, guys, we're going to take a short break. And as we've recorded an episode for Christmas, Stephen has selected something for the new year. We've already announced what it's going to be. But I think... We need, hang on, no. Have we announced it? I don't know, because is it going to leapfrog? I can't remember. Well, this is it. The The release schedule that we have is, is such that um, it could well have been heard it was to say that people are listening to our episodes in order in a way <laughs> so you may know or you may not know but we'll be back with what we're going to be reviewing for the new year back after this Okay, Stephen, Tony, Christmas episode, <laughs> Christmas episode in the bag. We're looking forward to New Year. This is something we don't normally do is a New Year movie. But Stephen, when we were talking last week, week before, you said, you know what, you know, we're going to be recording round about that sort of time. I put in an episode out about the New Year. And New Year movies are very few and far between. British New Year yes. movies, definitely. But you think you found one. Yes, I, I have, and it's one that's been on my list for for a while, and it it bubbled to the top more organically, and then I realised, oh, hold on, actually, this would be quite a, a, a good timing to actually have it done if we could fit it in, and, mm. and thankfully, it does work within the with the release schedule. Yeah. So you know, we have a, a film I'm bringing to the table, which is about um, six former college friends um, who gather. Uh, for New Year's Eve uh, as a weekend uh, reunion at a large country estate 10 years after they've, they've been at college together in order for them to reminisce and, and you know secrets come out and people's attitudes and things are, are reconciled and such like and it's it's Peter's friends from uh, 1992 that has a whole slew of recognisable faces oh, yes. um, Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, uh, Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson, Melda uh, Staunton, Richard Bryars. Um, it's going to be good. You know, the list goes on with, with people. Um, Tony Slattery, even. I mean, yes. how, much better than, how much better does it get than that? Rita, um, Rita Radner as well, believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. Tony, have so, you seen it? No, never even heard of it. Oh, we've well, heard of all those names. Well, yeah, definitely heard of them, yeah, but I've never heard of it collectively, no. Wow, OK. I think, was it directed by Branner as well, Stephen? It's directed by Branner and written by Rita Rugner. There we go. Oh. Tony, don't expect a knockabout, laugh-a-minute, you know, roll-about comedy. No. I, I watched it when it came out. Do you know, I don't think I've seen it since. So we're talking 1992. It actually released on Christmas Day, 1992, in the USA, so seasonal yet again looking forward to that guys i will see you in a couple of weeks time for the new year's episode yeah thank you for being here happy christmas to all the listeners yeah merry christmas everyone just remember to social distance (laughs) (laughs) yeah take care guys different christmas isn't it yes goodbye everyone take care see you all very soon take care Bye-bye. Good job. Say goodbye. Come on.
Cheerio, Alvin. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hand up, sir.